morning. How's everyone going? Ruff DeMarkey's in the building tonight. Ruff and Bridget Reed were in, got engaged Friday week ago. Is that right, sir? Yeah. Let's give him a round of applause. Give those guys. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you um, for your word. We thank you that uh, you've given it to us to teach you about yourself and about your plan for this world, that it gives us insight into the way you view this place we live in. We just pray that tonight you'd open our hearts and our minds to hear from you. Our Lord, may yeah, you change our lives as a result. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm not sure if, uh, if any of you actually know this, but I'm actually a really, really good ventriloquist. You know, I can do the little puppet thing without moving my mouth. I spent hours and hours studying the art of ventriloquism under the masters. Do, do you believe me? You probably want me to prove it, don't you? Go and get your little puppet. And then kind of talk without moving your mouth. Do what you say. Do the ventriloquism thing. If you wanted me to prove it though, I just want to tell you, you got it all wrong. Okay? See, I'm not that sort of ventriloquist. You see, there are ventriloquists that actually do the kind of puppet thing and not move their mouth and the kind of the puppet speaks. But I don't do that, yeah? I just am a ventriloquist. Nice, hey? I'm a ventriloquist. I don't think I really need to do that sort of stuff, you know? Now, what do you think of my claim? What do you think, honestly think, of my claim as a ventriloquist? You obviously know that my claim is ridiculous. Why wouldn't I, if I was a ventriloquist, kind of get up here as the puppet master and speak without moving my mouth? Why claim to be a ventriloquist and not actually be one? Why not really, if I was one, do the work of a ventriloquist? Now, my claim's ridiculous. Now, you might know other people like myself that are full of it, okay? Has anyone ever met an expert in something? You've met someone and they say, yeah, man, I'm a gun motorbike rider. I can just, like, get on the back wheel and mono for kilometre after kilometre. They don't prove it to you, though. Probably haven't even got a motorbike. <laughs> Have you ever met someone like that? What about someone who says, yeah, man, I, uh, I'm just this, uh, I've gone to rodeos, you know. I'm this master rodeo man. I don't know what they call that person, all right. <laughs> But they can just... A cowboy, thank you. <laughs> All right. I'm obviously not one. They say, no, I can ride the meanest bulls for the full eight seconds. But I'll never prove it to you. They're just spinning yarns. I've heard so many people like that. And when they tell me they can do something and I know they're lying to me, it frustrates me to death. Not quite, but, you know, metaphorically. But do you know there's some people that claim that they are Christians 
that they are followers of Jesus Christ, but they don't do the works of a Christian. They say that, yeah, man, Jesus is my saviour, but you can't see any fruit or any work, any outworking of it. They just say they have faith. They say they have faith in Jesus Christ, but they don't have the works. It doesn't make sense. Their claiming claim of being a Christian that doesn't do the works of a Christian is like my claim to be ventriloquist. Some of you probably still don't know what that word means. Hopefully not. In the passage of tonight, James calls this kind of faith, faith that doesn't demonstrate itself in works, calls it dead. Calls it dead faith. So the question, pretty full on, James is, like I said last week, straight to the point. The question for us to think about tonight is, what kind of faith do you have? What kind of faith do we have? Well, the passage we're going to look at is James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, continuing on in the series, but young Michael Piper is going to uh, come and read that for us. James 2, 14 to 26. Faith without deeds. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Thank you. In our passage tonight, James states his case for what true saving faith looks like as compared with dead faith. It appears that there are some people uh, that James is writing to in the churches that think they can have true saving faith without an outworking of works. Or as James has already put it in the passages we've looked at prior to tonight, it's all right to hear the word but not do it. Well, last week, it's all right to have faith and show favour to some people at the expense of loving and accepting others. Well, James, if you like, continues his challenge 
and he develops his argument through this passage. In the passage, that the argument is true saving faith does not exist without the presence of good works. Pretty harsh, but true saving faith does not exist without the presence of good works. Let's uh, look at verse 14. If you have your Bibles there. It says, What good is it, my brothers? Because it includes sisters there. If a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Good question. It's pointless to say you believe in something if it doesn't create any response in you. Especially if that belief is intimately connected with response, with action. For example, why say you're a gardener if you don't garden? Why say you're a marathon runner if you don't run marathons? Jesus doesn't call us to a life at the Hot Springs Day Spa. He urges us on and on to do good works. The second question he puts to this, he says, can faith save you? Now, it might have been the case that some people had been taking this, the notion of justification by faith, which is so scriptural and so true, that we are saved by faith, but they've taken it to an extreme. They've almost taken it and kind of changed it, modified it a bit. Some people, it's almost like they're enjoying the life, yeah, saved by Jesus. And they're getting a little bit relaxed about doing the good works, about being obedient to what God um, requires of them in their faith. So their answer when James asked them, can faith save you? Their answer would have been, yeah, yeah, faith can save us. But James wants to correct their view of faith. If it's faith that doesn't result in good works. He begins with a great illustration. Look with me at verses 15 and 16. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? Now picture it, right? A brother or sister, a Christian brother or sister, uh, a fellow believer is in this church. And they are without the ability to feed or clothe themselves. And the wealthy Christian, one of us wealthy people, goes up to them and we just know they're in need and we say go in peace keep warm you know get get well fed what's the good of that we have a person claiming to be a christian and all the poor person gets is like a blessing it's ridiculous it doesn't make sense surely if the person really followed jesus they'll be compelled to address the brother or sister's need to get him some food and clothes To find him a place to stay, that makes sense. That's Christianity 101, caring for the poor, poor brother. James says, there's my my point, there's my point. He uses the illustration, he says it's ridiculous to think that someone can have real faith and it not result in good works. James concludes, verse 17, faith by itself, if it is no works, is dead. It's a funny little picture, isn't it, that James James uses this story to show people that faith without works is an illogical endpoint. It's funny because in reality, we do it. 
it's funny, faith without works, they can't, they can't exist together. They can't really exist together. James's readers are going, that's me, you know, I do that regularly. And maybe we do the same thing tonight. Verse 17, faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. He clarifies his stance. He goes on to clarify. The first part of verse 18 reads, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Here's the issue stated. There are some people who think that you can, that true faith over here can be actually separated out from works. You know, you can have faith, but that doesn't mean you have to do good stuff. Now, do do we think this ourselves, you know? Isn't this an issue that we, as a church, as churches, struggle with? We call it personal faith. You know, my faith is between me and God. You know, I have this lovely relationship with with God. And it doesn't have to change my life, but, but I've got this lovely relationship with God. Don't get in between me and God. Many people assume that going to church is enough for them. Some assume that having good Christian habits, like reading the Bible and praying, that's enough. That this justifies inaction to the poor, to our poor brother or sister in Christ. But James, he's kind of rebuking this thought, this notion. In verses 18 to 25, we have dead faith and a live faith contrasted. Dead faith, faith separated from works, and a live real faith. Faith united with works. It appears that belief in God is possible without it being true and saving. We hear in the passage that demons actually believe in Jesus. Demons believe in God. But their belief doesn't result in salvation. Their belief results in terror. You can have faith in name. But if it's not true saving faith, if it hasn't got works. Now, being a country boy uh, and growing up with lots of crazy country mates, we used to have lots of opportunities to light fires. One of our favourite kinds of fire was the bonfire. We'd collect lots of wood, yeah, kind of gather it from around the paddock, gather it from out of the wood box, gather it from someone else's wood box, whatever, kind of make a big pile, make a huge stack, and then set it alight with whatever flammable liquid we could find. Now, Dad would say diesel fill is good, not kind of like explosive, and we would choose petrol because it's explosive. Don't recommend doing this, of course. When the fire burns down, the fire, you know, kind of the coals are there. And we used to, as friends, we used to grab aerosol cans and throw them into the fire. Because the idea was that the aerosol can would explode and then you'd have this massive kind of coal, red coal shower. Now, obviously, you'd run away because you don't want to get injured or anything like that. And once again, I'm not advocating this kind of behaviour. But every now and then, you would throw a can in to the fire and instead of exploding, which was the purpose of the exercise the can would just kind of start to fizz as the pressure kind of slowly released. Now, we'd run away and we'd wait for it and it'd just fizz, you know, nothing would happen. And we'd call those cans dud cans. They were dud because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Faith without works is dud faith. 
Well, if that's dead faith, what's alive faith? What's alive, true saving faith? It's faith united with works. Faith that comes through with the goods. Now, James gives us two examples to prove how faith and works go hand in hand. He chooses Abraham and Rahab, two figures from the Old Testament in the Bible. Let's look back at verse 20 to 23. James says, You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without works is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Back in Genesis chapter 12, God promises Abraham that he's going to make a great nation out of him. He's going to bless him. He's going to make a great nation out of him. But when Abraham got to about 100 years old, he still had no heir, no son that would continue that line on to create this great nation. However, God finally delivered, finally finally came through with the goods and baby Isaac was born. Now you can imagine how excited the old and decrepit um, Abraham and Sarah were when Isaac came. The baby they thought was never coming. But then it went slightly pear-shaped because God commanded Abraham to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. To sacrifice the only feasible way that God would make him a great nation or make from him a great nation. You would think he would have refused to offer his son Isaac. But he obeyed God. He was going to go through it because he feared God. He wanted to submit his whole life to God because he had faith in God. God intervened and said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, that you are in awe of me, that you have faith in me, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham showed himself to have faith when he was willing to, take, to pay the ultimate sacrifice and give his son, Isaac, on the altar. Now his action was not the means by which he was saved. His action demonstrated that he had faith. His action proved, it showed that what was, ooh, there you go, what was really happening inside him. Verse 24 reads, You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Justified by what he does is in a demonstrative sense. Do you understand that distinction? The works are the means of proving that you have saving faith. Verse 22 reads again, I'll I'll read it again. Was not our our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Here we have the idea that works completes faith. Works and actions show They demonstrate that someone's faith is real, true and saving. In this way, James is challenging us. You know, don't falsely separate faith from works. 
For faith that justifies is faith united with works in a single reality. I've been married now for two and a half years and uh, something Michelle has been learning is how I need to be constantly shown how much she loves me. Gary Chapman uh, has written a book called The Five Love Languages. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. And he writes there are five ways of demonstrating that you love someone. Physical touch. I like that one. Quality time. Receiving gifts. Acts of service. Words of affirmation. Now, if Michelle didn't demonstrate her love to me in any of these ways, I would not know if she loved me. It's probably the same for me, I suppose. If I did nothing to express my love for Michelle, no physical touch, no quality time, gave her no gifts, didn't serve her, gave her no words of affirmation, she would soon be convinced that I did not love her, that my love for her was actually dead. But this is not the case. Because I genuinely love Michelle, I naturally demonstrate it daily. And I want to do it more. I want to make her know more and more that I love her. Isn't that beautiful? I wish she was here tonight. (laughs) It's the works of love, if you like. The natural outworking of love. In the same way, good works, like the way Abraham was willing to offer his son Isaac on the altar, was, was a natural outworking of his faith, of his real faith. The second example he gives of true saving faith, faith united with works, is that of Rahab, the prostitute. Now the story here goes that the people of God, Israel, they're awaiting to enter the promised land. They've been wandering around in this wilderness area for 40 odd years because they've been disobeying God. God hasn't allowed them to go in. But now the time has arrived for Israel to enter the promised land, cross the Jordan River. And Joshua, the current leader, he sends two spies in. Sends two spies in to check out the land, scope out Jericho. And then the idea is that then the the army or Israel would come in and kind of um, take over the joint. Now what happened was these two spies, when they got in there, they must have sought refuge or hidden out at this girl, this Rahab, the prostitute's place. You don't really want to go too far into that, do you, really? Like, why were that prostitute? Anyway, it's very suspicious. Not really. They're hiding out in this place. And the rulers of Jericho, they find out about it and they send some people around to Rahab's place to check out if the spies are there. And Rahab, when they come, when they come into to Rahab, Rahab actually says, I don't know who you're talking about, or I might have seen him before, but they kind of, I think they went that way. You know, the old kind of, I went that way kind of trick. And they fall for it and they go that way. But you see, what has happened is Rahab has aligned herself with God. Rahab's actually chosen to, you know, kind of uh, chosen the people of God and therefore chose uh, God himself over her own people. In, verse, uh, in Joshua 2.11 we read, and this is what it's saying about, oh, this is what Rahab said. She said, For the Lord your God is God in heaven above, and on the earth below. So again, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Rahab here acknowledges that Yahweh, that the God of Israel is the true God. This is her kind of speaking out her faith. But her belief doesn't remain just there. 
she actually chooses to put her faith in God into action and leaves. Imagine leaving all your people behind and choosing to actually, you know, kind of follow this other, these other people. She demonstrates her faith through her works. Verse 25, Was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? James clearly demonstrates through Abraham and Rahab that true saving faith cannot be separated from good works. And he says, Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. If we haven't understood it by now, he makes it very clear. What a vivid image he gives us. A body without a spirit. A body without a spirit. We know that's, that's dead. So faith without works is dead. So alive and genuine faith that produces good works, dead faith is fake without works. Now the question again, what kind of faith do we have? What kind of faith do you have? James is encouraging us. He is spurring us on. Spurring us on to good works. Can you feel the shake? He is shaking us, trying to get us out of our complacency. His message is not just for us to be able to point out other people. You know, you hear a message and you go, oh, so-and-so could so do with this message. actually challenging us to kind of look deeply at ourselves. Look deeply at ourselves. Look deeply at ourselves. Is your faith demonstrated as real, genuine by your actions, by your works? Or do you merely say that you believe and have no good works that stem from your faith? Good works, they demonstrate, they validate our faith. What kind of faith do you have? Check out the fruit of works in your life. Now, if you um, were to do this analysis, or maybe you're doing it right now, and after your analysis, you think you finally realise that you're kidding yourself, and perhaps you have never really come to know Jesus, or perhaps you have control of your life, and your, your life is at, a present, at present not submitted to God. You need to somehow get genuine faith. Somehow move from having dead faith to an alive, real, life-giving, fully fulfilling life. And the only way to do this is by reconnecting with Jesus Christ. Now Jesus calls us back. He doesn't condemn us. That's the work of the devil. He wants us to come and, and submit to him. Come and make uh, come and be Lord of my life again is what he wants us to do. Let him rule our life. And please, if you haven't yet made a decision to follow Jesus, um, don't feel like good works will kind of get you there because they don't. It's faith and works of the outworking. And even as Christians, like um, we need to do the good works and strive to do that. But if you're kind of feeling disconnected from God, don't, as a result of this message, jump to just doing good works, like do heaps of good stuff and, and then God will be really pleased with me. No, just know that God is pleased with you now. But he wants you to go back to him 
reconnect, and out of that will flow your good works. We need to humble ourselves. So James is spurring us on to have real faith in Jesus Christ, faith that's demonstrated by our works. And I don't think it's a question of, um, are you really saved? Like, that's, I don't think that's his, that's his take on it. He's challenging us to strive, you know, to put our faith into practice. Do the works of the believer, he's saying. We shouldn't just sit back and mull it over anymore, you know, postulate, oh, that'd be a good reason to do it. We do that enough. The motto should be, just do it. And the good works to be done, they're all around us. They relate directly to loving God and loving our neighbour as much as we love and serve ourselves. So this week, let's be people of real faith, demonstrating this by our good works. Care more about other people and less about your reputation among your friends. I know it's hard, but let faith, let your faith stand out in those situations where your friends would prefer you to do something else. Think about the week that lies ahead and decide in advance to choose the way of real faith. You, know, you might know that regularly, like, oh, I try and do this, and you get to the situation and you kind of miss the mark again. Plan in advance to do that, to kind of stand and have real faith. Now, I say from the outset that we'll probably fail to do this. Like, there's no point, like I could say, do it, you know, do the works of faith and, you know, like, it's very hard. We'll fail to hit the mark. Lots of the time. So if and probably more likely when it happens, don't kick yourself too hard. Strive, though, in the power of God's Spirit to, to kind of have the outworking of real faith. We all need to strive, not out of a condemnation. Don't strive out of a condemnation that you're failing in your faith. But know that as a child of God, you are free to do the works of faith. God doesn't say, hurry up, Phil, and do something. You're kind of like depressing me with your apathy. You know, you're rubbish unless you do that. Now God looks at me and he just says, man, you're my child. I love you so much. Now, kind of, let's walk together and let's do some works together, you know. Let's kind of build the kingdom. He's not condemning. He's saying, do it in freedom. And he gives us his spirit, the strength to do it. That's my only message. It's pretty simple. It's pretty, hopefully I haven't repeated it too many times. Not many of you are asleep yet. But it's real faith has real works that result. When we do this, God's glorified. He is so glorified. Let's pray.